Welcome to Gears Action Growth, shifting business culture one conversation at a time. My name is Dr. Josephine Palermo and my superpower is creating business cultures that transform organizations team by team. Today I'll be chatting to Tony Sutherland, an executive product owner and agile coach about how he has achieved extraordinary improvements in product delivery times in a culture that was not set up for speed. Hello, Tony. It's lovely to see you here on the podcast. It's been a while and uh, I really um, appreciate your time. I, I was hoping that I could get you on the podcast um, this year in particular because we're really um, talking a lot about how to build uh, business cultures that, that optimize for innovation and how to particularly really build teams that can be agile and adapt to and adapt to a really uncertain and unpredictable environment and i know you've done such great work in that area so i know that our listeners are going to be super excited like i am so hey everybody this is tony say hi tony Hey, Josephine, how are you? Nice to be here. Good Good to see you again. (laughs) Great to see you too. Um, And Tony's the executive product owner and he's an agile coach at one of our biggest um, national technology, really, organisations. And Tony, I know you've had a really broad career. So why don't you start by giving us a little bit of that overview. Um, What's your career story? Like what are the defining moments that have led you to here? Yeah, well, I, um, I'm kind of getting old and grey now, so I better not tell you uh, all of the boring details. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll, I'll kind of break it down to maybe there was just sort of three phases. So the, um, the early phase, I got to do all of the sort of front, middle, back, you know, all of the kind of grassroots roles um, in, a, in a company uh, in, in New Zealand. Um, and, and then in the middle phase, I did a whole bunch of um, uh, what I'll call delivery, you know, pro- project and product management, program director, portfolio director, all, all that kind of stuff and uh, and sort of really uh, immersed myself into the world of delivery. And, and I really love that stuff, right? Like, um, you, know, you know, building stuff that makes a, a difference. Um, but but then the third and f- and 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 most recent phase, um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to work quite closely with um, a, a Silicon Valley company and um, and build some sort of DevOps teams that um, you know those those kind of teams that are capable of delivering every five minutes and and all that kind of stuff and um, you know that that that, that was a bit like a revelation to me and uh, and uh, I became a, a zealot for that particularly because you know as you um referenced an opening around the kind of culture and and the the ways of sort of uh, leading people um and that sort of servant leadership style it, it particularly appeals so um so so that's how I uh, also sort of um got pulled into the world of uh, of coaching Oh, wonderful, Tony. So, so maybe let's start there. So you were talking about the kind of ways in which you, you led teams to sort of, because I know you needed, and particularly when we worked together, you were really building teams from scratch in a culture that was not um, kind of used to that. It wasn't, it was not a culture that was sort of given over to, you know, rapid delivery and DevOps and, um, on all of that. So I'd be fascinated to kind of understand, like, if you can take your mind back to those, uh, those days, what, what was it that, that particularly you knew to apply? So what was it that you, maybe you learned along the way, or maybe it was some kind of secret source that you had already. So how did you know what to do in that environment? Um, 
Look, I guess I um, had had the good fortune in, in uh, the company that I worked at previously to, to be exposed to, to a little bit of this, this stuff. So I had an advantage. And, um, and I guess um, when, when you and I first started working together, you know, and I, f I first uh, came to that new team, like I, um, you know, I had, uh, you know, more traditional project managers in the team uh, at the start. And, you know, I was getting emails at um, 11 o'clock at night and five o'clock in the morning. Hey, where's my funding and where's oh, my wow. resources? And all those, um, you know, all those kind of uh, old project management world yeah. um, pr problems. Um, but also... Um, the stuff that had been built um, up till till then, you know, a, a lot a lot of a lot of capability had been sort of um, put into production, but it wasn't necessarily getting utilised um, to to the extent that people expected with customers. So, I um I kind of knew that we um we needed to do something that was both much more customer centric um, and make sure it was going to resonate with with customers, but also, you know, solve solve the problems for these um, for poor people in the team who were <laughs> sending me these uh, emails at ungodly hours. And, and so I um, I just sort of went and pitched um, to to my um, you know brand new boss in my brand new company. Hey, let's um, let's do this a little different. Like let's let's go full agile and um, migrate stuff to the cloud and and make sure that we can kind of do things. Um, much more quickly and let's get customers much more involved in the process. Amazing. And, and you know, through that experience, um, what was the major barrier for you in doing that, in building that team? You know, I um I was kind of lucky with um the the person that um I was reporting into at that time. Like um, he he had just finished reading you know Eric Ree's The Lean Startup, and so um, so what I was uh, what I was uh, you know he, he was picking up what I was putting down yeah. if, if, for for one of a better better way of describing it, but. He was also a little mischievous, you know. I, I said, "Let's go do this thing," and he said, "Okay, Tone, you know, let, let's uh, let, let's go. Co we'll, we'll, we'll hide behind the walls and we'll do this thing, and no one will know. Like it'll be a secret, covert um, mission, a covert mission, because <laughs> because it was kind of different and countercultural yeah. at the time. That was where we was, and not not that he, you know, particularly wanted to be naughty, but he just sort of knew it was going to be a bit countercultural, yeah. and, and so that was so, sort of uh, his first thought." how you deal with the countercultural nature but but you know i i kind of said you know what if if you do that and it doesn't matter what company you're in it'll go the same way right if you do that you'll end up with the detractors in the sort of in and uh, in the technology function they they will block you um and so let's actually go find some people who are like-minded um and uh, and team up with them and and make it happen and you know, we had the good fortune to find some people who were all about that same thing. Um, and, um, you, you know, so I, I think like most things in life, you know, it's part your own kind of skill and tenacity and it's partly just the luck of uh, the situation you're in and the other people that you um, uh, manage to sort of come across and work with. That's right. Uh, but, you know, I think, Tony, you call it luck, but I you, I call it optimising your resources, you know, looking around and going, okay, who else here might think like me and might open a few doors? here so I think they a you know at the time I think it feels like luck because you're in the flow yep. but I'm sure that there's some you know there's some skill and capability that you bring to that as a leader yeah 100 percent I mean just that decision to go looking for it for starters right if, if if you don't make that call then you don't go find those kindred spirits um yeah but you're always 
you know, you're always kind of glad glad to find them when you when you find those people who think the same way. For sure. And and um, what, what you were talking a little bit about servant leadership. So you obviously had a philosophy of leadership. Could could you tell us kind of you know what that philosophy is and where where that came from for you? I, I'm go- I'm going to tell you a little story and. Um, I actually, I've told this so so many times now that um, I've never done it sort of in this forum where, you, you know, I would kind of need to attribute its origins. And I, I remember I, I kind of stole part of it and made part of it my own. So if um, if you're the person out there that I stole part of it from, <laughs> please forgive me. But uh, but anyway, here's, here's the uh, sort of modified new new version. Uh, you, you know, we, look, we, we, you know, th- those of us who've, who've been sort of working for a few years, you know, we, we've had some good people we've worked with and some less so right and if you kind of think of those uh, back on those times that you had that more kind of uh, maybe autocratic um, style leader you know maybe that tricky one I, I often I often sort of wonder what would happen if you um, if you were able to swap that person's role with you know the person who runs an orchard you, you know um, uh, and you, you know I suspect you, you sort of send that tricky leader off to the orchard and um, you know the orange trees suddenly have these um, KPIs to um, to grow more fruit and, um, <laughs> and and when that doesn't happen the orange trees the poor orange trees are suspected of you know lacking passion or lacking talent <laughs> or, or both um, and whereas you know the orchardist um, you know he or she comes into the corporate environment and the first thing they will do is sort of fling open the curtains and let the sun shine in on the yes. people and they'll um, they'll try and find out what you know nutrition they can kind of give people to um, to make them flourish um, yeah. and so I, I just I, I just kind of think that's a lot better way to, to kind of go about it right like how do you how do you um, think about you know your people and your team in that way that you know you're, you're trying to figure out how to enable them and maximize their their productivity rather than you know the uh, the uh, alternative um, you know it's just uh, feeling it's just sorry for the orange yeah. trees <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. alternative absolutely it's a bit like that so so what are some things that you put in place um, when you're when you're leading, I know at the moment your, your, your role has shifted a little bit. You're kind of more at that program level. But when you were delivering, when you're right in the middle, right in the kind of, you know, hot seat of delivery, what are some of the strategies that you put in place to kind of ensure that people had that sunlight and that nutrition that they needed? Yeah. Actually, you know what? I'm I'm gonna um, <laughs> I'll go out on a limb and tell you a bad story <laughs> because I um I mean I'd love to kind of come on here and tell you that I always got it right, but um but I'm kind of human like everyone else and I, I get it wrong at times. And so, you know, when 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 you and I worked together and you and you saw me build those teams and you know from the outside in we'd kind of built something a bit different and cool and yeah. and um you know we're delivering every five minutes. Tony, all, can all I just interrupt you? You were like the cool kid on the block you really were everyone's going tony's doing such cool things so you're right it was very cool it, it, it didn't feel like that every day you know i used to get you know hey tone that's not the way we do things around here and sometimes <laughs> that was with that kind of quite positive mm-hmm. that's cool intonation and other times it was with the uh you know the other side of that coin but um anyway get, getting getting back to that i um you know it might have seemed um all, all um you know good um from the from the outside but on the inside 
when you're building a brand new team, it took us a little bit of time to sort of migrate things to the cloud and you've got to get through all of those security reviews. And, you know, once you've got maturity in that environment, of course, you can deliver things really quickly every five minutes. But it wasn't like that at the beginning. You know, there was there were, there were delays and, and I experienced pressure. And there was a point where, you know, leading up to a Christmas break, we just didn't have enough done you know we hadn't moved enough things um, for those of you who are uh, in the agile we hadn't moved enough things from the um, you know to do column to the done done column and, and 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 I experienced a bit of bit of pressure around that because I'd sold you know the company on on doing things this new way and there wasn't quite enough in the bank and so my old project management kind of uh, tendencies kicked in at that moment and I just wanted to sort of grab the handle and crank it a little yeah. bit you know like let's go guys let's mm. punch these things out by christmas and actually what happened in that moment was delivery went even slower um because I, I i i had sort of kind of regressed back to that yeah. you know command and control let's get things done and um you know i i reflected on that over that christmas break and i sort of thought hang on come on tone like you've uh, you've been doing this for a long time now you've learned some things you, you you kind of know how to build a team that's high performing and you've gone back to your old self um you know the the one from before you'd learned all these lessons so i turned up after that christmas break and actually apologized to my to my uh... team um and and i think that's that that's a good place to start right yeah. like you have to be able to admit that you're wrong, you mm -hmm. have to be a bit vulnerable and explain to them the pressure you're under. Um, and you have to also reassure them because trust is everything in this, right? And I think I've seen a yeah. Simon Sinek quote, you, you know, like a leader who's, um, you know, willing to prioritize trust um, um, over high performance will find soon enough that high performance follows, right? And so you've got to you've got to do it in, a, in that way that you do build that trust and belief in your team that hey, this guy has got our backs. Um, and and then, boom, uh, it just exploded and off mm. they went. And um, you know we we had um, we had one particular product owner who who was working with me at that point. You know when when we were when we first started, some of these digital, they're, they're quite complex digital flows with a lot of steps in them. They, they, you know, they're not kind of the stuff that you see on, on your, um, on your Spotify app or whatever that there were, there was a lot yes. of complexity in these yeah. things. And so in the beginning, I, but before I, before I turned up at the company, I think it was taking 10 months to build, um, you know, one of these, um, flows and, um, not long after that moment I had in that Christmas break, one of our, um, one of our product owners was building like big, hairy, 80-step digital processes uh, in, in two or three weeks. Oh, wow. Amazing. That's incredible. That's just, yeah. a, you know, when you think about it, it's like a, it's a exponential improvement in a matter of, you know, months. So, and it just goes to show, doesn't it? It's the power of, it's the power of people, but there is a process to it. It's that agile process as well, which has its routines and its um, focus on, you know, kind of short-term bursts as well. I know, I know you, you are an advocate for the agile approach. Is there um, is there anything um, that you love in more than you know? Because there's a lot of methodologies in that in that kind of um, ecosystem in the agile ecosystem. What's the what's the few things you know that you really love to implement? Because you know that they're going to get you those kind of results. 
Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of stuff in the kind of broader toolbox, agile DevOps, um, the architecture that supports it, you, you know, having the right architecture, you, you know, you can't go that fast um, without that for, for starters, right? But I guess bringing it back to, to the sort of more kind of people agile process um, bit of it, you know, people talk about speed when they first start their agile journey. And I kind of think in their frame of reference that they're in in those early days, they usually mean doing what I do today much faster. And they'll hear stories about companies who've gone agile and got the 10x yeah. result. And they think that means what I do now 10 times faster than than, than, than what I'm currently doing it. But it, it's not, when I talk about speed to value, um, I, I think um, value is a different thing, right? Like if you've if you've done sort of traditional delivery for a long time, you've seen so many projects that, you know, that they are targeting an outcome for a customer or the company, but, you know, they might not be right on point. You know, they're, they're just uh, a little bit, you know, five degrees off the right direction or whatever. Um, and, and so, you know, um, in order to deliver speed to value, it's got to be right on point with value. And so you get some of that speed by having the direction really correct. And that agile iterative nature and the test and learn is what helps you do that, right? So you're, you're not going to invest, you know, X million dollars and a year um, building the wrong thing. You're you're going to, you know, you're going to build build a small thing and make sure it's right. You know, I um when I'm when I'm trying to explain this to someone new, I often use um, the analogy of, you know, if you're making a kitchen, you know, you can spend thirty or forty thousand dollars building your kitchen and then start using it and go, ah, I wish I'd put the fridge over in that corner instead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Or, you know, you could go to Bunnings and get a $2 roll of tape and mark it out on the floor before you build it and, you know, play around with it, get your partner involved, you know, do, do a little bit of, you know, what happens when I'm washing the dishes and you're yes. kind of, and, uh, and and you can move the bits of tape around and for $2, you've got it right on point before you even started. And then you, then you spend the 30, 40,000 and know that it's going to be the right outcome, right? So, you know, that's that's a simple example, but in, in Agile, when you're dealing with complex technology builds, you, you know, it's even more powerful to kind of get that $2 tape logic happening and make sure that you're right on point with what's being built. And, and you know, you do deal with complex, um, the, the projects are complex, the workflows are complex. So there's a lot of moving parts there and kind of even getting feedback in that system is more complex, I imagine. Is there is there anything you've learned about managing that complexity? Um, yeah, definitely. And I guess when it, when it comes to... Um, testing things with users to make sure, you, you know, you are going to kind of um, deliver the right thing, particularly if you've got a lot of complexity to get through. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of other teams from, you know, other parts of the organization that you're going to have to integrate with and what have you, then, then it's even more important to get it right. But but there's a couple of things that come when, when you start testing with customers. One is um, it's a pretty good dose of humility, right? I, um, I mean... You know, it, it, it's it's kind of a little bit of a double double edged sword because on the one hand, you have to be quite uh, 
have a good instinct for what a customer might think to sort of get yourself going in the right direction and to be testing the right things. You, you know, you, 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 right, kind yes. of, you kind of have to have a good intuition and, and yet you have to be quite willing to be and, um, you, you know, back in those, you, you know, like I told you the story about, um, you know, I don't always get it right. You, you know, I would sometimes um, be quite adamant with the team about what I thought was going to work and resonate with customers. And then you'd be sitting there, you know, um, you know, you've you've kind of mocked it up on a device and you've yeah. got the customer and they're clicking buttons. And, and um, you know, my own team would be sort of smirking at me while the customer was in the room <laughs> testing because, uh, because you know, they were right and I was wrong. Yeah. But, and, and you've just got to be willing to, to kind of accept that and, um, you know, not, not bring too much ego into the room when, when you're kind of going to that place with, um, with, uh, with, with your customers. But, um, you know, it, it also gives you what you need to go back into the organisation and wrestle the complexity. Yes. You know, when, when you yeah. build big things that, um, you know, transcend across multiple different sort of um, functional silos in a company, there'll be plenty of, you know, very senior people who will want to tell you how this thing needs to look, Absolutely. feel what it needs to do. Um, and, and, you know, if you don't have that, um, research with the customer, it becomes a, you know, me versus you kind of conversation with that senior leader. Um, whereas if you've kind of tested, um, you know, those opinions with the customers that, you know, the customer is always right. And um, it yes, makes it yes. so much easier to cut through, you know, that, um, you know, political tension and complexity um, without, you know, you don't have to have have the tension in those conversations because people will generally accept what what a customers and a well a well researched um, you know customer opinion is exactly exactly and I think that's the that's the thing isn't it we've um, otherwise it is just about my opinion and your opinion and often the hierarchy kicks in there you know the the person who has the most power might have the loudest voice there whereas yeah. here you're mm. actually taking it down to like more of an evidence base and saying well actually this is what the customer wants and so and as long as you've got the right kind of customer and the research has sort of got you know a, a bit of rigor as well then then that's almost you know irrefutable hundred percent. You know, I remember these stories from back in the 80s, you know, before the sort of digital world that we live in now that sort of research about, you know, the, um, you know, bunches of flowers that they kind of have in the bin near the door of the gas station or whatever. And there was some research that kind of said, if those are sort of two feet away from the door instead of six feet yeah. like the, the the sales like triple or something like that and um you know you fast forward from then to um to, to now and and in a similar way i have seen just moving a button five millimeters on, mm -mm. on on a screen on a mobile phone you know so whether it's a, what we call in digital above the fold or below the fold you know so yeah. whether you've got to kind of scroll down a little bit i i have seen that exponentially change traffic for things um, and, and be worth millions of dollars a year for forever. Um, so, so, and you just yeah. don't know that stuff until you've actually put it in front of customers, right? And sometimes even doing the human-centered design with customers isn't going to tell you the answer. You've actually got to, you know, get it most of the way right through your human-centered design, then actually get it in the hands of customers live. And um, do that and, testing. And do that testing and, um, you know, A, A, B testing and things like that. They just mm. kind of help you cut through the noise and get to what's going to be most on point yeah actually um 
we are nearly out of time, but I did also want to touch on human-centred design because that's a practice that I follow in the work that I do in organisational, you know, development and team coaching, etc. as well. Um, what's um, what's the kind of practice that you, you again, enjoy in relation to human-centred design? Because, again, it, there's a lot of tools in that toolkit. Is there anything, is there a favourite kind of tool that that you would recommend people might want to kind of go and have a look at or is it something that um, maybe there's something there that that you've discovered really makes a significant difference as well yeah there's a there's a company um the the company that i work with now partner with um a a human centered design company called luma um and they have a whole bunch of uh tools on their their website that are are really um easy to use um and um actually if i if i borrow um you, you know um, the uh, description of human-centered design, and they, they have this thing called the double diamond, where you sort of sort of go broad on the um, problem and then narrow in, and then the same thing on on the solution. And like his really simple explanation is, um, you know, when when he um, you know goes to visit his mum and describes a problem, she'll often go straight to the solution from when he was a child. Um, um, you know, he might say, oh, my son's, you know, having problems That's at school. That's what my mum does. <laughs> yeah. So, so my son's having these problems at school and she'll be straight in there. Okay, well, when that happened with you, here's what I did. And it will be often quite a <laughs> narrow range of solutions, yeah. right? Whereas, you know, if you dig in, you know, is it really, you know, is, is the child getting lead are they you know maybe they're just not cut from the right cloth to do math um you know it could be anything so the idea is you kind of go broad and and explore all of the different possibilities that it might be from a problem perspective so that you're actually solving the correct problem um, before you sort of narrow in on you know okay it's this problem and then you do the same thing again with solution kind of go broad um and that's how you kind of uh get you know get beyond the obvious solutions and and uh become a bit more innovative right so i think um for, for me in a nutshell that that that's kind of what human-centered design does, and it makes sure that you're um, that you're really on point with customers, and that you're kind of solving things in new and creative ways, which is kind of cool for the team that you work with as well, right? Yeah, and I and I love some of Luma activities and exercises too, because they're creative, they're fun. It's also um, not a, a a kind of turgent way of getting people engaged there's it's a lot of energy in in that in in kind of exploring you know in that convergence space exploring uh, sorry i mean divergent space in exploring lots of different ideas before you get down to okay which one is it that we're going to go with so yeah totally agree yeah um and just just before we go tony I, i'd be keen to also and, and i'm putting you on the spot i know but what's what's you know when people say to you what is the secret of your success maybe they don't tell, ask you enough i'm sure they have asked you before what do you say like what what's the secret of like what what would be the pearls of wisdom you would give others you know junior tony coming up uh you know early career what what would you say to junior tony i um uh, uh, you're messing with my, um, you know, humble origins now. I, um, I, 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 tr- I do my best not to kind of um, pat myself on the back too much. So, um, so, but let me let me try this. Go ahead. I, I um, you know, when I was younger, I think one thing I, I, I 
kind of grew up in the highest crime rate suburb in New Zealand, right? Like it was, it was, it was kind of a, a different place than you know I'm fortunate to live in now and and have been able to bring my kids up in, and it comes with some stuff, right? Like I I just had limiting beliefs, you know. Uh, you know, if you if you become senior, you know, you're mm. this other kind of person that's not like me. Like I'm that different. That you know, th those things are just not useful, right? So, so because of course you can become, you know, you can get to that level without becoming someone else. You you but you just have to back your your strengths and and um, you know, what we all have strengths and weaknesses. Mm. I say forget about that stuff about working on your weaknesses I say yeah. understand your strengths and take them as far as they will take you and you don't have to become someone else so limiting beliefs I would say would be be one big one and you know the other one is just the normal stuff right drive tenacity but also you know do it with a bit of humility and you know good grace and relationships because you just you never know what's going to happen in life and you know the number of times um, I have had someone help me who you know I had done good by 10 years before and never thought anything would come of it um, and then suddenly you find yourself in a situation where actually their help is going to be super useful and you know they're willing to do it because you've kind of chosen to go through life in a way that um, you know accumulates more friends than enemies it's a it's just a much better way to be but um you know that's the that that's just my kind of version I'm sure uh, I'm sure there are many paths yeah no that's wonderful Tony and you're absolutely singing uh, on in my book when you say play to your strengths I think that's that's wonderful um, because often um, we, we, you know, we have to be reminded about that, particularly um, some, some of the way along the way when um, we, sometimes we get feedback from others who are telling us to, you know, be someone else or work on those, those weaknesses in order to fit in, in order to be that leader or in order to be that person. But I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, keeping it real and playing on your strengths is, is the way to go. Absolutely. Um, so, Tony, I, we could have kept talking. There are some other questions that I have around particularly the larger culture, but maybe we'll have another conversation another time. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know that you're really busy, so I really appreciate it. Um, and um, I would love to um, yeah, have, you, have you on the podcast again at some other time. We can talk about some of those other questions. Terrific. Um, so we will leave it there and um, hopefully we'll see Tony again. Thank you for um, being a baby podcast uh, participant today. <laughs> Your first podcast. I'm sure there'll be others. And um, thank you so much, Tony. My pleasure. See, see you later, everybody. Bye. Bye now.